So here we go, guys. We are going to uh, jump right back into where we left off yesterday. Um, we ended yesterday talking a little bit more about Bitcoin, getting your Bitcoin off the exchanges and things like that. Um, and we talked about some things with Strike, like where, uh, Sal Mayweather said, Strike can shut you down. And, of course, they can. All exchanges can. That's why you get your Bitcoin off. And from there, we, we kind of left that world, and uh, this is where we'll lead off today. We're going to start off with a question that was asked to me. Do we need an Elon phone? Uh, and my answer is no, we need dozens. We'll go into that. We're going to talk about Argentina and the supposed ban on crypto in Argentina. It's not a ban on crypto in Argentina. It is a ban on banks touching crypto, and it shows that the IMF and the World Bank are scared. Uh, then we're going to talk about Russia. We're going to talk about Russia, Ukraine quite a bit, because there's basically the way I put it here is that the United States has become Bag Baghdad Bob. Um, it, for instance, the ruble, despite all of our sanctions against Russia, the ruble is the best-performing currency in March of 2022. Um, there's just a lot going on in Kiev, and we'll talk about that. And uh, I'm going to talk deeply about something I missed from the very early days of TSP. And is there some way we can recapture some of it? And why I'm glad it's true, but also, like, can we can we recapture the way you guys communicate with each other and me all at the same time. And then I'm going to give you an update on the supplements I take and and tell you a little bit about why I've changed up things. Because I've, I've you, a lot of you guys, so here's the thing about this and, and, and why I come up and say, well, I'm doing this differently now or I've changed this thing. I think there's two ways you can handle be realizing that people are listening to you. And this is the dopamine hit that people get on Facebook and YouTube and, and, and Twitter and all of that. Even people that don't run business, they just have their accounts and have their followers, and they put something out and it gets you know a lot of reaction. There's a dopamine hit there, and that's what they rely on to get you to come back, to, uh, to get your attention. And there is that as a content creator. When you put out content and lots of people like it and thank you for it and whatever, it feels good. It's a big part of, like you call it, the podcast payday. But... There's like being appreciated, and there is people that come to you and they go, well, because you said I did. And there's, I think there's the majority of people will go into two camps with that. One huge ego hit, I'm the greatest, I am telling people to do, they're listening to me, I feel so good about myself. And then there's the reaction that I think more people would have if they experienced it. Because only so many people actually get to experience like, On a daily basis, people are doing things because you said to do them. There's not a lot of people that have that level of influence. You have to work hard to obtain it. And the first thing I thought, when I was pretty new to this, and I had a few thousand people listening to me at that point, and somebody said, because you said I did, and I don't remember if it was storing fuel or whatever, was, holy shit, wow, ugh. man, I better be careful about the advice I give people, and I better be clear that it's my opinion. That's why I've said from the very beginning, the show is one man's opinion, not a lecture or a sermon. Right? It's not gospel. It's my opinion, and you do what you will with it. And it's a very humbling thing. And in that mindset, as this show's developed over the years, there are some things that I have come out with that I have changed my position on. Now, if it's my opinion on a political issue, I don't think it really matters. 
But it's when this is what I do, and you probably should too, and I change that. I feel a big obligation. So I'm going to talk about how and why I've changed the supplements that I take. And basically, I just take less. And I think if you were doing what I was recommending, there's nothing dangerous. But you might be spending money you don't have to. And that's not good advice. And every dollar you spend on something you don't need, or not even not need, that doesn't directly heavily benefit you, you could take that money and you could invest it for your future, or you could spend it on something that provides you a better benefit. And we're going to do a lot of Q&A with the audience at the end of this segment as well. We had a ton. There was the amount of audience interaction, which ironically is one of the things I miss about the show and the second to the last segment today. There was a ton of audience interaction, and that's a big part of why this went so long. So with that, let's drop back into the live feed from yesterday uh, with part two. Now, episode 3090, let's just blow up some belief systems today. Moving on. Another question that was asked this week over social media. Do we need an Elon phone? The hell is an Elon phone? An e so basically, there's people now that are calling on Elon Musk, like our savior, like he's actually Iron Man or some shit. He's Tony Stark. You know what? You should buy Facebook and you should buy Google. And that's not going to happen. But we should have an Elon phone. We would have an open source operating system, and then you could just go buy an Elon phone and throw your SIM card in there, and then you could uh, you could actually have uncensored apps and not be tracked and all that. Now, somebody's going to say you could de-Google your phone and, and stuff like that, and you can, and many of you should, and I get that. But, you know, if you if you think it's scary to buy Bitcoin, if you think it's hard to buy Bitcoin, de-Googling a phone is a, is a hell of a lot harder, man. It really is. But if there was a reasonably priced phone that just worked off the shelf, and I would call it a mobile device, not a phone. I don't even care if it makes phone calls, honestly. But basically a replacement for this that would just work off the shelf And, and do everything that you needed it to do. If all your apps that you use now that you love still worked in it, would you, would you use it? Would you buy it? Would you, if it was a couple hundred bucks and, and you knew that it would just work, would you buy it? And Wink is saying you can get a D Google phone from Brax and I agree. And here's, here's my issue with this, right? These, these devices run Android and they have inherent limitations, but they're still like, They're all running the same OS, and the same OS is still – we don't. I don't know that I trust it. What I actually said to the people that said this is I, I think it's a fine idea, but I don't want an Elon phone. I don't trust Elon more than I trust anybody else. I don't trust any one entity or one person, period. What I would like to see is a true open source phone environment. I'd like to see multiple operating systems all interoperable with multiple open source app stores. And I would like those open source app stores to basically make it so if I'm a developer and I've already done the big two, I've made my Android app and I've made my Apple app, that I can almost drop code in as like a wizard or something and convert it. And then I would like some sort of auditing service that instead of having terms and conditions that are 87 things long and you finally just say upset because you can't read all of that legalese, that just pulls out and says, here's the big things the people that run this app are doing to screw you over. And then I think what we'd have is more functional, useful apps that cost money. And I'm okay with that. 
I'm okay with that. That's what I'd like to see. I would like to see the average app not be free. I mean, I think one of the things that people do not understand, really do not understand, is that anything that's free means you're the product. All those apps that you can get for free, you're the product. And most of the apps that you can spend money to buy, you're still the product. So I would like actually to see an operating system that prevents tracking even by the app or that tracking is default opt-in only. I bought this app. It wants to track me. It'll do everything that I want it to do without tracking me. Or even if it, like it's a GPS type app that helps me find a place, well, it has to know where I am to tell me where I'm going, right? But it'll be blocked. It won't, that information will never go back to the originator. Will you share your information? Yes, I'm fine with that. If you want to give away your information, I think you should be able to. Maybe they'll pay you to give away your information. That Maybe you want to do it for a reason. There are places where they're guaranteeing that you will not be known, and they're paying you with crypto in return for your information because they're going to sell your information because a lot of brands and things like that, they don't, they don't care where Jack Spirico goes. They care where everybody goes as a percentile because it's very valuable demographic information to market their shit. And since they're selling it for money, maybe they're willing to pay you. I'm not going to do it. But I can see why, you know, if you look at it, the average person's data, the average person's data is worth about $8 a day. If you want to sell your data, fine. But this has to be done, like I just had my whole talk about crypto and government. You don't ask for sovereignty, you take it. If I have the ability to not give you my data, period, and you want my data, then we have to negotiate. And we have to negotiate the terms and the conditions that I'm willing to give it to you. So I want to see like an unbelievable number of devices. Gorba was supposed to make a gab phone for the social network gab. It seems like a publicity stunt because I never heard about it again. It was like a year ago I heard the gab phone is coming. Not a word about it. Um, everybody's guilty of shit like that, I guess, uh, in the, in the business world one way or another with a little bit of uh, clickbait or whatever. But I'd like to see thousands of them. Now here's the problem. We haven't learned our lesson. We still get almost everything we need to build a cell phone from China. We're not going to build the shit here. And until we do, I don't trust any of it. You might as well have an Apple phone, as far as I'm concerned, if your device was built in China. There, there's back doors in every piece of technology. It's more about how you use it than what you have, I think. That's my personal opinion. Uh, next. So one of the things that I've heard with great fervor, Argentina has banned crypto. No, Argentina didn't ban crypto. And I think this is actually very encouraging. I don't think it's good, but I think it's encouraging. So the Argentinian central bank said, if you're a bank in Argentina, you can't handle crypto. So they said the banks can't be in the business of dealing with crypto. Does that mean an Argentinian can't, you know, wire Argentine pesos to a uh, exchange. No, that might have other hurdles, but that's not what this means. That means the bank can't do business with crypto. Do you know what that means? They're scared of it. They're scared of it. We just had two more nations go Bitcoin native. Panama did it in a better way, in my opinion. They made it a de facto legal tender. So in Panama, now you can hold, buy, spend, receive Bitcoin and not pay any capital gains taxes on it. It's seen as equal to uh, the uh, Balboa, and there is no Balboa. There's no such thing as the Panamanian Balboa. 
There, I, I lived there. I can tell you right now, I never saw a paper Balboa. Panama uses a dollar. They're a dollarized nation. They do have Balboa coinage. It's made by United States Mints. It does have a picture of Balboa on it, but it's a United States quarter or what have you. In fact, I've never seen a Balboa dime. They may exist, but in two and a half years of living in Panama, I never saw one. Or a Balboa nickel or a Balboa 50-cent piece. I don't know if I ever saw a 50-cent piece in Panama or a Balboa-like coin dollar. I saw a lot of Balboa quarters. I think it's so they feel good about it but everybody uses the dollar. So effectively, Bitcoin and dollars are treated the same in the Panamanian economy. And of course, the Central African Republic made Bitcoin legal tender. That's now two nations making it legal tender and one making it a de facto financial standard. This is getting interesting. And the IMF is deeply concerned again. The central banks are deeply concerned again. They're deeply concerned for the poor people of Panama and the poor people of the Central African Republic. Now, We, we know that they've worked really hard to help those people all the way up till yesterday, and now they're going to have to be meanies, right? Come on. This is what I said before. Do you really think, do you really think that any central banker is getting up in the middle of the night and, and thinking, God, in my heart, I'm so worried about Central African Republic? No, what they're upset about is the colonial franc system has fallen on its ass in Africa. And, and, and Central African Republic is the first domino to fall there. And it's going to rip through Central and, and South America, and it's going to rip through the African continent. That's where it's going to begin, because they're the people that most need it. And right now, those of you that are like, but look how far it went down. You're the same sons of bitches. I'm sorry. You are. Man, when it goes down, I'm going to buy some. Man, I wish I would have bought it when it was $25,000, man. You weren't going to buy it then. You're probably not going to buy it now. It's okay. Here's my theory about where people get into Bitcoin at. Whatever price you get in at is the price you deserved. If you wait till FOMO pushes you in at an all-time high and you have to ride through your first roller coaster from the top instead of the bottom, it's what you deserved. If you got in way earlier than me and unlike me, you didn't spend a lot of it and you're an OG now and you're rolling big-time bankroll of Bitcoin, that's what you deserved. If you're mean, you got in real early, but you wanted people to adopt it, so you bought stuff with it, and if you would have just kept it, you'd have a lot more. You got, I got what I deserved. If you bought it today, you got with, you got what you deserved. That's how it works, because it's a meritocracy. Somebody asked me this week too, uh, is Bitcoin subject to the iron law of bureaucracy? It seems like all these maxis are more concerned about defending Bitcoin than the mission of Bitcoin. Well, the mission of Bitcoin is to be Bitcoin. It's to be whatever anybody wants it to be. That's why I, I tell people that like, but what Satoshi wanted is, well, first of all, you're going to quote one line of a white paper, which I know you haven't read the whole thing because you wouldn't be making the point you are if you did. And you didn't read all the shit that Satoshi left behind. I'll put a link in the notes today. There's a book you can buy. You can do it online for free, but the book is more convenient. Everything Satoshi ever wrote before he disappeared. And my thing is if Satoshi wanted more block size or anything like that, Satoshi should have coded it before he left. Like that doesn't work that way. But the mission of Bitcoin is to be Bitcoin. And we're going to build so many technologies on top of it. And I've realized something about why we have all these shit coins. Why we have them all. It's exactly counter to the point of Bitcoin. What is the purpose of Bitcoin? The true purpose. To create a global monetary good that cannot be arbitrarily inflated. To end money printing. 
to put a stop to it. To have a system where everybody knows the rules and everybody knows tomorrow, this is how much the issuance of Bitcoin will be. And in a hundred years, this is the issuance of new Bitcoin. And then you can look at adoption rate and you can transpose that into a market value. That's it. That's all it has. It has to be frictionless and weightless and instantaneously transferable around the world. And if you could transfer a billion dollars in 10 minutes between two nations, that's instantaneous in our world. It has no gravity well, unlike gold. If I want to move a billion dollars worth of gold between two countries, I need permits, I need airplanes, I need guys with guns, I need millions of dollars to affect a transfer. I can transfer a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin for under 100 bucks in 10 minutes. That's what it's supposed to be. Then you build whatever you want to work with it. And every single thing, even the ones I've advocated that altcoins can do, is being empowered with layered solutions for Bitcoin to do. And I've always said it's the best asset, but it doesn't do this or it doesn't do that. Two things that have caused this to happen. One's a lack of patience. I can build my own technology. I'll do it now. Okay, great. I understand that, but that's not the real motivation. The real motivation for all these alts is exactly the opposite of the mission of Bitcoin. The ability to print money is a power that is so attractive that few can resist it. Let's say I'm starting a new company and it's going to be a social media company. And I want my users to be able to transfer value and wealth between each other in a frictionless environment. I can integrate lightning, which is easier to do now than ever, or I can come up with my social media name token. And when I issue that token, I can give myself couple million of them. Now I could fund my entire operation. As soon as that thing hits exchanges, even if it sells as a shit coin at 50 cents, I gave myself two million. I just put a million dollars into my treasury and I did it by copying and pasting code in effective marketing. Maybe I gave myself 30 million dollars, 35 million dollars. You know, one of the old ones, basic attention token built, built as an ERC 20 token, bat, the brave browser. It works. It does what it's supposed to do. But effectively, they gave themselves $35 million. That's why they did it. They didn't do it because nothing else would work. They did it to give themselves money so they could inflate themselves wealth. That's why so many of these things, I'm telling you, in the regulations that are coming, they're going to get hammered as securities because back to putting on the black and white striped shirt instead of the black and yellow or the gray, gray and black, you know, one striped shirt, the, the anarcho agorist flag shirt. If I'm going to be a referee in the system that we live in, whether we want to or not, there's securities under U.S. law, and they're coming for them. And things like Bitcoin and some of the alts are like Bitcoin. No pre-mine. There's no central authority. There's nobody enriching themselves on what other people are doing. Those are true cryptocurrencies, even if they're not as good as Bitcoin. They're true cryptocurrencies. You look at anything built on ERC-20, I guarantee you it's going to fall as a security, and so is Ethereum. And these guys know this. And why do you think some of these um, these cryptos, right, these crypto projects are buying massive amounts of Bitcoin? Why would they do that? Because you can't seize it. And because when they, if they decide, I want to keep this as a going concern and I have to comply with all this bullshit, they're war-chesting their money. If they war chest their money as Luna and they, and Luna gets declared a security, right? Cause they're one of the biggest holders of Bitcoin in the world 
publicly anyway now that we know who owns it, then you can't use the Luna to pay the bills that you have to comply with. But you can use the Bitcoin. They know it's coming, too. They absolutely know it's coming, and you need to know that. Uh, okay, let's switch to Ukraine real quick. I have a question. It's a serious question. I want you guys to start answering it before I give you the information I'm about to give you. How true do you think the mainstream narrative on Ukraine is? A, it's mostly true. B, it's somewhat true. C, it's somewhat false. D, it's mostly false. Drop your your belief. Again, uh, reading that for you. How true do you think the mainstream narrative on Ukraine is? The whole of it. It's A, it's mostly true. Because anybody thinks it's 100% true, you're an idiot. I don't even care. Okay, B, it's somewhat true. C, it's somewhat false. Or D, it's mostly false. I'm just curious. We have a D and we have a C so far. Another D, another D. So not at all. Mostly we're heading toward the not at all, mostly false to somewhat false. I would agree. And I would tell you that my gut is D. I'm open to C. I'm open to it's not as as false as I think it is. But I will tell you there's some things that are going on that no one's telling you that are verifiable. One is, you know how we created so much misery for ourselves and our gas prices are through the roof and all the inflation is Putin's fault, even though we had all the inflation coming for the war in Ukraine. So, But we suffered through all this, and that means the Ukrainians are winning because of us, because we're giving them $30 billion this time and In the end, we're going to get like a trillion dollars or some crazy shit is what will end up happening. Don't think it can't happen. Look at Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, in fact, we could pour more money in there because if we don't put boots on the ground and it does keep going on, it's a never-ending hole. Because at least when we're spending money in these countries and we're occupying and we're spending it on our own initiatives, when we're giving it to a country, we're depending on them to do what we're supposed to do with it. Right. Um, but... You would think that this economic war on Russia is effective, even if the war on the ground isn't. So you know what the best performing currency, not cryptocurrency, currency of all the nations and all the worlds, what the best performing currency in March was? The ruble. Link in the notes. You can go look at it after we end the live stream. The ruble was the most successful currency in the world in the month of March 2022. In the middle of an all-out war on it. We're losing the economic war. We're suffering, and they're not. Now, individual Russians have had things like their credit card shut off and all, but I've gotten straight-up first-hand accounts that basically life inside Russia is pretty much going on as normal. And they're not having anywhere near the internal inflation the United States or the Western world is. Yay us. Um, I also want to know, if Kiev is so dangerous... It's so dangerous. Oh, it's dangerous. Oh, my God. They're just bombing schools and children and orphanages every day. There's a little old lady taking flowers to orphans, and they shot her in the head with an RPG. Like, that's how bad Kiev is. What, 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 what the hell is Jill Biden, you know, you 2 and Bono, and Justin Trudeau doing hanging out in Kiev? Well, see, the war moved to the east. Well, that's pretty much where most of the war has been. They did advance on They did. They never made an effort to take it over. I don't care what the TV told you. I don't care what the TV told you. You can be mad at me if you want. People don't like the truth. I don't care what the TV told you. 
Russia never made a concerted effort to actually take Kiev. And I'm going to tell you how you know that. And they weren't indiscriminately bombing every square inch of Kiev because there's two things you would know if that was true. One, Kiev would be rubble. Not some rubble. It would look like Maripol. That's what it would look like. And that could happen in 48 hours if they really wanted to. Now, this isn't Putin's a superman and he has a super army or anything. The Russian army has some real weaknesses, and we're seeing it more than I think anybody ever realized right now. There's a lot of conscripts being shoved in there that really don't know why they're there. Nobody wants to just go kill somebody. Well, most people, 99% of people don't want to go just kill people for no reason, right? So if they're hungry, they're starving, they're not well supplied, it's not going to go well. And, and, and the Russian army's having that trouble. But if, if from a standpoint of if you want Kiev rubbled, that could be done without one boot on the ground with Russian artillery, right? And, and, and rockets and, and missiles and shit. And I'm not talking about nuclear either. That could have been done. So the fact that you have Biden's wife, Trudeau, and Bono hanging out in Kiev tells you it ain't that dangerous because they're not that brave. But what really tells you this? The early days of the war, when it was really on, man, when they, was, they were fighting the heroic thing, the Ukrainian beauty queen was out there with her airsoft gun and her designer gloves and her hair all perfect. Like when all that was going on, did you guys remember seeing like CNN reporters? Three o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, standing in downtown Kiev, reporting live from the front, not getting blown up. Didn't you notice how, like, all the lights were on? Now, I'm not saying there's no war. I'm not saying it's 100% wag the dog, guys. I'm just saying, if you have a city being heavily bombarded, you turn off the freaking lights, Okay. You turn off the lights. Ask the few remaining survivors of the German freaking bombings of London about this. You turn off the lights. You don't light the whole city up and say, here we are. And you don't have namby-pamby, wuss-ass reporters standing in the middle of the town that's being pounded. They're not that brave. There are some reporters. I want to be fair. There are some reporters, war correspondents, that literally risk their lives. And to me, they risk their lives more. Uh, Mary says it's 99% wag the dog. I don't know if it's 99. It's 90. Easy, right? Um, there are some war correspondents that are, and like I said, I think to me they risk their life more than the soldier because they're not trained like the soldier. And they're videoing or reporting while everybody's shooting at each other. And and God, those guys, I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And they tell you the true horror of war. One of the best ones that's available right now, a guy comes off kind of as a goofus, but he has to be brave as shit. I'll try to find his channel for you, add it to the notes if I don't forget. He's with the Russian army. He's a stooge of Putin. He's been there since 2014. He's on the ground. He's talking to people that live there. Some of them have positive things to say about the Russian side. Some have negative things to say about the Russian side. It's more honest journalism than CNN's given me. I'm not saying I even believe 100% of it. I'm not saying none of it is uh, somewhat propaganda. I'm just saying... It's more honest. It's closer to the truth. Where are these guys? Right? We have this idiot from CNN. This, uh, I can't think of his name. Black dude. Supposedly he's got a gun. He's out there fighting. He's watching. He's listening to like air raid shit going off. He's talking about missiles coming in and saying what caliber they are. It's not how missiles work, dude. But supposedly they're in danger. They're under, and, and there's like people just walking around like old dudes playing chess behind them and shit. No one's worried but him. Come on, guys. 
I don't buy this. The other thing that's happening, the United States is now Baghdad Bob. We are. We are. We did it with COVID. Why not with the war in Ukraine? We are presenting this is that everything has gone wrong for Russia and Russia's losing the war and Putin's in danger of being overthrown any day or whatever. And, you know, I want to say something. There's this dichotomy. It's more like a trichotomy in this. Either the United States caused the war, right, by 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 basically pushing Russia into a corner, Putin into a corner. Or Putin's crazy and he just wants to reestablish the Soviet Union. Or it's all because Nazis in Ukraine. We'll take the all off the Nazis in Ukraine. There's Nazis in Ukraine. Probably more than most people think and less than some people believe. But there's definitely Nazis in uniform in Ukraine serving in the Azov Battalion. That's the thing. It's not the reason for everything, though. But here's the thing. All of those things can be true. It can be true that Putin is the aggressor in the war and that he's the one that chose to invade. It can be true that the United States provoked Russia into that war. It can be true there's massive corruption in Russia and oligarchs, and this is about money for them. And it can be true there's massive corruption in Ukraine. And it can be true the United States interfered with, with a legitimate election in 2014 and installed our puppet. All of it can be true. This idea that we have to pick a side in that is insane. And if you pick a side in it, the fluoride's working. Get it out of your water. Get it out. And it is McCain's war. That's a that's an astute statement. If you want to know who's probably most responsible for this war, I'm actually going to bet when the postmortem happens on this whole thing, assuming we don't nuclearize everybody and, and blow the planet up with it, there's going to be a movie. There's going to be a movie, and that's what it's going to be. What was the one, Charlie Johnson, or was it Charlie something's war? Remember that? Remember that that movie? There's going to be a McCain's war, because McCain is hugely responsible for this. Old school neocon. Big part of it, absolutely. I'll let that go, though. But we are about, we're Baghdad Bob now. Putin is losing a war. He's running out of bullets. This will be over any day. There are no tanks in Baghdad while the M1 Abrams rolls right behind. If you don't know who Baghdad Bob is, look him up. I'm not doing that one for you. I'm putting a link in. We're Baghdad Bob. Charlie Wilson's war. That's it. Thank you, Mary. Yep. Martinson family says it too. Margaret Oliver says it. Thanks to all of you. Charlie Wilson's war. That's a great movie to watch. I highly recommend it. If you want to understand what's going on, understand what's happened in the past. God, I hate saying this. I hate saying this. There's no more warmongering nation on the planet than the United States of America. We're the most war hawkish nation that's ever existed, probably in the history of the world. Go do the research. Start in the year 19... Start with, start with World War I. Start with our entry into World War I. And so you're looking at a little over 100 years. And you find for me, and you tell me, how many years did we not bomb another country in some way, shape, or form? Tell me, tell me what years, and it'll be, it'll be surprisingly a short list. And if you start with World War II, well, we really had the capable capability to really bomb people. If you start there, um, 
you're going to find out that there's really not a lot of years that we haven't bombed somebody. We bomb people this year. We're going to bomb people next year. I promise you, it's going to happen. It really is. I need to do something about this background noise. Hold me just a second. So, yeah, sorry about the delay there. Anyway, yeah, we're Baghdad Bob in this. Now I want to talk about something totally different here toward the end. Something that I miss, but to a great degree, and this is odd because it's social media itself that's caused the problem, I think, and it's my fault too. There's something I miss about the early days of Survival Podcast. Now, some of, there's two things. One, I'll never get back. One is like you become a father and you have kids and there's that period of time when they're not an infant anymore and they're just beginning being a toddler in that time through toddler period where you're raising a, a, a you're really raising a child and then you know they cross a point where they become a somewhat more switched on and responsible and now you're raising a young man or a young woman but there is a period of time where you're you're raising a child i got to raise you because you're basically an infant and i got to raise you into a child and then i can take the child and raise the child into an adult that's parenting to me And there is, when you create something like the Survival Podcast, right? Yeah. That transaction cleared long ago. I, I don't know how long it took, but yeah, that was, that's already gone. Um, you, you can never go back and do that again. So in creating a, something like a podcast and actually making it successful, there are, are those early days when you're working so hard and you would get excited because you look at your stats and you got 10 new followers this week. Like, and you're ecstatic. And I did a post and it got three comments, right? I got two new followers, right? I mean, like there is something in that and it's special and you'll never ever do that again. You have to create a whole new company to do it again, or you have to have a whole new baby to do it again. And sometimes you get old, you have gray hair and not having babies no more. And you have grandchildren and what have you, but you know, that's just, it, it's over. And so I miss that, but that's not the biggest thing. The thing I miss more because I don't think it had to happen is the interaction with you guys. The interaction with you guys. When I started TSP was 08. And social media was a thing, but it wasn't big yet. I think people don't realize how recent a phenomenon things like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and all of this being really, really big is. And so like most people with a podcast, especially at the time, I used WordPress as a blog platform, and I used RSS to syndicate it out into Apple Podcasts, right, which was called iTunes at the time. That's how long ago it was. And I, there were some other podcast services, but like 99% of my listeners came from iTunes. And 95% of my interaction with the audience was on my blog. People came to the site, to the episode, and commented. And then we commented back. Sometimes we had debates. Sometimes we had agreements. Sometimes we'd learn things. Sometimes we had arguments. Sometimes people argued with each other. But that's that was the way things were. And a typical episode with 20% of the listeners that I have today would get 80 to 100 comments. And I get four or five. And there's a reason. The discussion is now... Decentralized, which is, which is good in a way because I have less control. You know, and there's been different places where it's migrated, blown up and ebbed out and went somewhere else. So at one time we had the most trafficked Zello channel that existed. 
Zello was the thing, man. We actually had the the developers on Zello reach out to our Zello crew and say, how do we make Zello better? Because you're the most active channel on Zello. We had a massively growing Facebook following, well over 100,000 people following my page on Facebook. So that migrated there, and it bifurcated. And, oh, and Twitter never blew up for me. I got shadow banned as early as anybody. I've been shadow banned on Twitter for eight years plus. But, it, you know, that bifurcated. We have people now on Discord, Telegram, MeWe, Float, uh, all over the place, Gab. And that means that I don't have quite the relationship with you guys that I used to. I want to. I'm still willing. I put the effort in. But it, what makes a discussion isn't you and me. Right. Meaning it's not Jason and me or DS and me or Jim Jen and me. Right. It's me and Jason and DS and Jim Jen and Smirk. Right. All these people I'm seeing right now, K Bonk and Irwin and Jason. And it's the conversation between us, but it's the conversation between each other. And as we've spread out, there's not only less of the direct between me and you. There's less of the intercommunication and everybody's siloed into their places. Like the Telegram group is really active, but it's probably 15 people that do 80% of the talking. And then that's true on MeWe. It's less true on Float because it's not as, they don't have communities there yet, so it's kind of more individuals, right? But it's all spread out. And there's another thing that we had kind of just fall, and that was the forum. The Survival Podcast used to have a forum. I built it myself on Simple Machines. Because I built it myself and I'm not a coder. Uh, it probably made it more difficult for my web guys to maintain. And when we, we, we had Bill and Steve leave as maintaining all my web services and Tom, who's right here with us right now, Tom, I'll put him up on the screen, came in and took over. We decided that the cost of maintaining the forum was no longer worth it because so few people were using it. And that's probably because I never used the forum much. I built it. I gave it to the community and I walked away from it and said, you guys run it however you want to. And so the forum, even though it was our branded forum, became more like a satellite site. And then that led to the whole migration out into Facebook and the social media world. And I wonder if it's all my fault, or at least mostly my fault. You know, should I have made a consorted effort to say, like, this is the one place that we all communicate? And I don't know that I should have, because here's the other side of it. I miss it. But don't you miss your kid when they go off to college or they go start a business and they move out and go off on their own and do their own thing? Don't you miss that? Don't you miss that? Would you have it any other way? What kind of parent are you if your son or your daughter is ready to go out and start building their own life and you, through manipulation, hold them back? Because you don't want them to leave and you still want them to be there for you. I mean, a movie's coming to my mind right now. It's a crazy, stupid, funny-ass movie. Adam Sandler. Uh, remember the water boy and how his mama was? Right? Like, aren't you kind of being that, that archetype parent if you're holding – if you, you are the reason your kids have failure to launch. And so even though I missed that – I kind of see like that, like having been a good parent of the community and letting the community f fractionalize as it wants to, because there's even sub communities and pieces of the community that think Jack's a jerk now 
Not in a good way either, right? We're done with him. We're through with him. But the people in that community, the majority of them, whatever they're doing, had TSP not been the genesis of that that splinter group, they'd have never met each other. And I think that that is better than having a central place where if you want to talk TSP and talk to Jack, you have to come to that central place. On the other hand, I wonder if maybe there's not a way that we could take a piece of that. You know, what is that? I love this. I love the live streams. But what I would love more is to be able to plug in to where I'm doing this stream and you're on Twitch. I can see you here. You're on YouTube. I can see you here. But what if we could all see each other? Like a separate chat that's easy, guys. All you techies out there, if it's over my head, it's way over 90% of the people's heads. I would love to get some sort of way that we can bring everybody together, but here's my thing. Unless I trust it, it's not happening. You know, I wouldn't use Facebook for this. I don't even know that I would use something like Discord or Telegram. I've thought about Telegram. Um, but Discord, there's a way to do Discord. I'm not sure how, but there are people I follow, like Pirate Chain, that they do like basically a weekly podcast that's on Discord. And it's in other places too. And that would consolidate the discussion. That would be interesting. I would still have to use two screens, but maybe with a little bit of help. I'm just wondering if there's a way that we can get, cause guys, again, it's, it's, I don't like the fact that right now there's probably, you know, a dozen people or something like that or three, who knows? I'm not even sure watching me on float. And I can't contact them, and they can't contact me directly. I can't have 10 screens here and be multitasked like that. And I'm not Joe Rogan. I don't have a studio crew telling me what's happening and handling everything. I do this myself, right? And I don't like that I can't have that conversation. But I'm more concerned about the fact that Bill's over on Float, right? Michael's over on Rumble, and they can't talk to Chase on YouTube or Tom on YouTube especially during the podcast. I think there'd be a lot of value in being able to do that. So I just wanted to point that out. And I wonder if anybody has any ideas, but it has to be something that the average person can just do. Now I will tell you, if you hate YouTube, I understand. I'm not going to quit broadcasting there though, because it's where I reach the most people with video. I really encourage some of y'all and there we have, we have somebody right now, uh, Shataros that is on, um, the, uh, on Twitch, I really can can say that if you guys can get on Twitch, at least you're feeding into me, and I can do what I'm doing right now, and I can put you up there. And YouTube and Twitch are the two places that I can really see your content come in on my back and at least link you guys together. And there seems to be a lot of community tools on Twitch. I'm still learning about it, but it, it'd be interesting. Last, I, I want to give you a quick update on the supplements that I take. Uh, that ties into our item of the day today, and I know this is where a lot of you guys will tune out, but consider this content not an advertisement because I don't care where you buy it. Uh, but my item of the day today, uh, you can find it at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com. No matter what you buy, if you start there, you help support us. But it's a company called Solray, and it's their zinc copper supplement. It's 50 milligrams of zinc and 2 micrograms of copper. And I've been recommending that since the early COVID days, and I've been doing that because if you take zinc and you get zinc into your cells, 
you're more resistant to any mRNA replicating virus. So that's garden variety flu, colds, etc. It's also the case, and this is not medical advice, and you shouldn't take any of this as medical advice, so I don't go to federal prison. Um, but this is all scientific fact I'm giving you. The problem with zinc supplementation is, unless you get zinc inside a cell, it doesn't really do a lot to help prevent things like mRNA replicating viruses like the common cold. But if you get it in the cell, it's very effective at shutting down viral replication. So you need something called an ionophore. So the thing I paired with the zinc was quercetin, right? Quercetin. Peyton's, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. I'll, I'll mark it up. Um, and quercetin opens up a pathway into the cell so the zinc gets into the cell. There's scientific research that shows conclusively, this is not debatable, that zinc in your cells not just shuts down replication of viruses, it even shuts down, shuts down or slows down or impedes the replication of many cancers. And all of us end up at times or another where we have cancers in our body. Cancer's the thing, it happens. The thing is our immune systems are able to shut it down, to dispose of it, to get rid of it. And I think that's a very cool thing. Right. And I think that if we can take a thing that does that cheaply, we should do that. But when I started learning about zinc and I started recommending zinc, I had a doctor write me and I was like, oh, boy, here it comes. It was like, this is medical advice from a medical professional about your COVID advice. And I was like, oh, OK, I know where this is going to go. I'm stupid. I don't know anything. I don't have a degree. Uh, uh-uh, He was very helpful. He actually said, I agree with just about everything you're recommending. So then I picked my job off the floor, got my heart going again, and went, wow, okay, a doctor that listens. So I read what he had to say with intent. He said, the problem with the zinc recommendation is zinc can cause a copper deficiency. They compete in the gut. So I looked it up, and it's common medical knowledge that no one talks about. So I looked for a zinc that had copper in it at the right ratio, and this is the only one I found. That's also a highly absorbable form of zinc, a chelated zinc form. So I started recommending it, and that's my item of the day. You can find it at tspaz.com or the survivalpodcast.com. But I wanted to update you guys because I used to have this laundry list, and it was every you know support thing I could come up with because in the beginning, I thought COVID was BS as far as how big of a threat it was unless you were really sick or really old where you'd be having trouble with just about any respiratory virus. But I wasn't 100% sure, and I had a lot of you asking me, what can I do? So I had B12 and all types of stuff. And I was taking a lot of other supplements. And I have drastically reduced my supplement intake with no ill effects. And I wanted to tell you what I still take and why today. And you can find links for all of this in the write-up that I did with a product update today uh, at tspaz.com. Number one, I still take quercetin and I take zinc. But I was taking a large amount of quercetin a day. I now take one quercetin and one zinc with the copper together every day because it's good for immunosupport. In my opinion, not medical advice, right? Backed by science, not medical advice, all right? But in my opinion, that's why I choose to do it for myself. And I don't do it because I'm worried about the COVID. I do it because it's, I believe it's a good standard practice. And if there was like a wave of flu or something going through and I wanted to give myself a little more defense, might I up the quercetin a little bit? Yeah, I might. Because it also is a strong antiviral by itself. But I just think it's a good practice Take daily zinc supplementation. The average American is deficient in zinc. That's, again, scientific fact, not medical advice. Um, but you can take tons of zinc. You can take zinc to your shit of zinc, zinc bar. If you can't get it into the cells, you don't get really the immunosupport you're looking for from it. Uh, then I also take D3 and K2. I won't say the amounts. You can go through all the material I have for you on the site. 
if you want to make the decisions for yourself. I also recommend three books, which I've added to the write-up as well. And I recommend you read them in order of kind of the basic to the advanced version, but at least read the basic one by Dr. Jordan Somerville, who I also have an interview you can listen to on why you should be taking D3. D3, I take in an amount that doctors would have their jaw drop and think I'm going to die and I'll be dead. And I can tell you my D3 levels have not gone into anything approaching a dangerous level doing this. It takes a lot of oral D3 to move blood levels if you're deficient. Okay, And if you're obese, it's almost guaranteed that you're deficient because you store it in your fat so it's not freely flowing in your body. It's an amazing immunosupportive uh, hormone that your body makes for itself. You can take too much of it, but it's you can take a lot more than they say you can take. But again, I'm not giving my doses. What I will tell you is for every 10,000 uh, IUs of D3 I take, I take a single K2, I think it's 100 milligrams. And the reason I don't buy the D3 K2 combo is pretty simple. Okay. They don't use the ratio I want to use. They use 5,000 to one. I use 10,000 to one pill, right? So there's that. The other thing is that um, when we started taking the D3K and the K2, uh, we found that my wife had some racing heartbeat things, and we're not sure if that's what did it. But when we did research, it turned out that people that take uh, the MK7K2 can have arrhythmias. And MK4, it seems to go away. So we went to MK4, and I could only get that by buying it individually. So I take every day quercetin, zinc, D3, and K2, and I take magnesium. I take a good multivitamin. That's it. That's all I take. I take the magnesium for other reasons I won't go into because this show's over two hours long now. Uh, and I also use a product called Sacred 7 Mushroom uh, Powder, which has a lot of anti-cancer properties. That's my whole regime now. And it's very inexpensive. It's very easy to do. It's very low risk. And it's not medical advice. But if you want to know more, go to today's episode. There will be a link in the show notes where you can learn all about it. With that, guys, I am going to wrap up today. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Thanks to everybody that threw me a super chat. Uh, let's go ahead and take the starred questions. Um, Alan says, should we treat crypto like any other investment? I already did that one. But like I said, um, I mentioned it, but I didn't cover it, so I'll cover it now. Yes and no. Yes and no. And this is what I mean. I don't treat two ETFs the same. I don't treat two mid-cap stocks the same. I don't treat two growth and income stocks the same. I don't treat two large-cap stocks the same. I look at every investment for its individual value. And if I don't, if I can't quantify the individual value in the investment, I don't buy it. I also look at a stock that I'm holding and I say, if I wouldn't buy this stock today, why am I holding it? Okay. So then I'll, that means I'll sell the stock and I'll buy one I would buy today and I'll hold that instead. I'll trade that stock with Bitcoin trying to be smarter than the market over time. I made some good trades and I made some bad trades. But after being in this market now, what is it, six, eight years, eight years in earnest, 2013 I owned some, but 2014 I started to really accumulate and recommend. Every Bitcoin I didn't buy, every sat I didn't buy when I could have was a mistake. Every day that I went in my business without accepting Bitcoin was a mistake. Every sat I ever sold 
was a mistake. So every single Satoshi I ever sold was a mistake. Every sat I ever spent, including the five bucks I just gave to Jake, was a mistake. Okay? I'm willing to make some mistakes to evangelize the product. Every time I traded into an altcoin, even when it worked out, in my opinion, long term, it was a mistake. All in, good and bad, if all I had done from day one was stack sats and never spend it, then I would be better off than I am today, and I've done well. I'm not crying here, okay? I made some trades. Like, I bought a bunch of Ethereum when Coinbase first picked it up, and it was like 97 cents. I didn't even know what it was. I was like, I got all this free Bitcoin that Coinbase gives me. I might as well buy some of this other Ethereum shit with it. That worked out really well. But in the end, in fact, that would be in the win column, right? That's a big win. And that money made me more money than if I left it in Bitcoin. So how is it a mistake? Because by doing all these individual things, the cumulative result in the end was less. The best trade I've ever made in my life, in my opinion, was when the Bitcoin cash fork hit and I knew there'd be hype. I waited for the hype. I sold the Bitcoin cash. I held dollars. I waited for a Bitcoin dip and I bought more Bitcoin. That's the ace trade. Are there trades that made me more money? Yep, but that was the ace trade. When I look back and I look at my stack today of sats, I go, wow, there's a lot in there from that. And so I treat all investments the same, and I treat every investment individually. And my investment philosophy with Bitcoin at this point is dollar cost average, keep buying and keep holding and never sell. And get off the exchange. So it's the same but different, man. Um, Adam Johnson, why the price drop recently in the crypto markets? Because the whole economy of the world's going into a shit storm and everybody's freaking out and trying to raise capital. That's why. Do you think it was some other reason? You think it's because Willie Wu didn't hold his dowsing rods the right way or something, right? Like, no. It's it's the whole world is in a catastrophic event right now. People are worried about whether they're going to be able to feed their kids by August especially in other parts of the world and definitely in this part of the world. And because we had so many people jump in with FOMO at the top of the market because Elon and everything else. That's why I've always, and, and when the market was at the top, I said, if you get in now, don't spend all your money, right? Buy it a little at a time over time. It's, it's dropping because people are scared and liquidating. It's prop, it's dropped because we have a shitload of people taking short positions. But the big reason Because the futures market is fueled by massive amounts of money through the approval of uh, futures ETFs, which is what I said would happen. Remember when I said that? They brought in the futures ETF first. They're stalling on the spot ETF. When they approve the spot ETF, it's game over. It's multi-hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin within six months after it's approved. It's trillions of dollars that can pour into the market. But they there is a lot of people, unlike many of y'all, I hate to be this way, but I'm telling you the truth. There's many of y'all, you've decided this must be bad because you didn't get in back then, and now you're bitter, and somebody told you have fun being poor, some other snarky remark, and you've become a Peter Schiff, and you've solidified in your position, and nothing will get through to you, right? There's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people with a lot of money that have a lot of money because they don't think that way, and they're going, damn. This is going to be a global reserve asset, and I'm going to want to have as much of it as I can 
And even though I have lots of money right now, if the price was lower, a small piece of that money would buy a lot more of it. And there's a flat-out conspiracy among the global elites to suppress the price, not to kill it, but to obtain it. That's my opinion. I have no proof of that. But I also had no proof when I said that these freaking mRNA vaccines would probably affect reproductive uh, systems in women. It was just an instinct. I think this instinct is way more on than that one, and that one turned out to be right. That's the price drop. Uh, Jake Robinson said, this is why vertical indoor growing movement is, uh, by big tech, meat haters. Uh, he's talking about my whole thing about the river systems and where you can and can't grow stuff. I think the main driver of vertical indoor growing systems is actually that they can be really profitable and they solve a lot of problems when it comes to growing vegetables. Now, there are people that envision a day when we can grow wheat and rye and stuff like that in warehouses. And I don't know that that's very practical. I don't think humans really should be living off grain in the first place. I think grain is a very damaging crop. Uh, it's a very resource-intensive crop. But when you look at growing the most expensive produce, the most profitable produce, and you look at pest and disease, if I go to an indoor system, I solve 99% of my problems. My yields are predictable, and I can factory grow a product that I know I have a market for. And I think money is the bigger thing on that. Jake says, oh, no, my $5 of Bitcoin is now down to $594, $494. You know, if you buy more, you'll lower your average intake. And that one was free, Jake, so don't complain. Keith Snow said, what's the difference between a libertarian and an anarchist about a year? Uh, I want to say something on that. If you anarchists will stop being absolute dickheads to the libertarians who are being nice to you, it is about a year. If you're shitheads and you tell them how stupid they are, it's a lot longer than a year and maybe never. Uh, Don says the libertarian believes that it's wrong to hurt people and take their stuff. An anarchist also believes that they're that, but they believe there are no exceptions. I completely agree that you cannot wear a costume and change that rule. Uh, Thomas says taxation is only theft for those who don't buy into the system. If you're a true believer status, then it's not theft for you. I agree. And this is why I have a difference of opinion with people who say, 100% exit the system. I am not completely outside of the system. And that is by design. It is not because I can't. If I wanted to, I could 100% bank in Bitcoin. I could. I'd make less money in the end. My net would go down. I could be one of these people that drives around with no driver's license, with my own homemade identification. I could even be in the system a little bit like a gentleman I met at Float Fest who said, yeah, I don't have a license, but my car has a license plate because if it didn't, Right. If I didn't have a plate, I'm just asking to be pulled over. I'm asking for more competition. That's dumb. So he has a trust that owns his vehicle. And, of course, they'll give him tags for the vehicle because they want their money. I could do that. I could say I'm not a citizen of the United States, even though the government would still say that I am. I could be completely outside the system. Why am I not completely outside the system? Because it benefits me to be part of it. And it benefits me to understand the system as well as the people that wrote the rules for themselves in the system and to use the rules the way they do. It benefits me to focus on the 95% of the tax code that tells me how not to do what the 5% tells me I have to do. It benefits me by having a business and turning a tremendous amount of my life legally with not even bending the rules into the, moving into the expense side of the balance sheet. It benefits me because so many of you, if I only took Bitcoin, wouldn't be members. 
It benefits me because if I didn't do some of the referral and affiliate stuff that I do, I wouldn't have that income. It benefits me. So the taxes I pay, I believe all taxes theft. But I also believe I'm choosing to have the theft extorted upon me. And I have made a simple business calculation. I've made a simple business calculation. By participating as I see fit, I am better off. And I'm not better off at the expense of somebody else. I'm not participating in gaining some sort of no-bid contract or something like that. I'm not anybody's employee. I either sink or swim all by myself. You guys are my boss. Now, if one of you tells me to screw off, okay, bye. See you. Don't let the door hit your ass. But if you all tell me to screw off, I'm screwed. I can't make it without you guys. I serve my market. And the reason I don't have all of you leave an exodus at once, like I had, I had like a 50% exodus. Like I had two big exoduses in my career. And they weren't my mistakes. My mistakes were mostly forgiven. I've done some things I tried to make work that didn't work. They were mistakes. Getting involved with Rob Gray and a mulligan mint was a freaking mistake. I lost him, but not a big loss. You know, permit ethos not working out. It wasn't that big of a loss. Like people didn't abandon me for it. They understood what I was trying to do. No, my big exoduses were I no longer believe in the political system. That was a half of the audience left. I soon rebuilt it, but half the audience plum up and left. The other one was COVID. When I said, stop freaking out, you're supposed to be preppers. You're supposed to be prepared for this. This isn't that big a deal and you're going to be fine. I didn't lose half my audience. But I lost enough to notice. And I saw the conversation, screw him, screw him. I wonder where those people are now. I wonder how many of them kind of came back in through the back door and didn't let me know. Because it turned out I wasn't crazy after all. And I was telling them the truth. People don't like the truth when it doesn't fit what they have to say. But I'm agreeing with Thomas. If you are a true believer and you think this is the price you pay for a civilized society or whatever, and you just fill out your 1040 and you get all your money taken from you that they can possibly take, it's not really theft because you've chosen to believe. I guess that's a difference. Even where I choose to participate, I don't choose to believe. Troy says it takes eight days to get more than $1,000 off. Eight days to get more than $1,000 off of where? Strike? Doesn't apply. If you follow my rules, it can never matter. What are my rules? Buy it, take it. Done. Okay, how much can you buy a week? $1,000 a week on strike. So how much can you withdraw? $1,000 a week on strike. So if you always withdraw what you buy, you can always withdraw all that you buy. Now, if you're starting to use strike like a merchant account, you're taking payments there. Don't do that. Take payments direct to your wallet, and it won't matter. Kbonk says, tons of FUD about the whole crypto system. Oh, there is. There is. And I want to be clear about something when I'm so aminent that Bitcoin is the place to be with your money. I do not believe for a minute that all other cryptos will go to zero. I don't believe that. And I think people that say that are in denial of reality. And I don't believe none of them have any utility. I think a, you know, a tether for example, has a utility. It enables trading of Bitcoin for people who want to trade. It also enables you to use lightning rails to send dollars anywhere in the world. It's pretty good utility. The absolute anonymity of Pirate Chain or Monero, that's a utility. As private as we can make Bitcoin, 100% private's even better, right? So I think there's a value to that. 
Ethereum does some cool shit, even though I pick on it. And I do think it's a $10,000 to $20,000 asset when all this crap they're going through gets done, assuming it gets done right, and I believe it will be. What its long-term future is, I don't know, because there's some other assets out there, like Atom, that, man, everything Ethereum's trying to do, they can already do faster and cheaper. But Ethereum has first-mover advantage in that market. There's some interesting technologies. They're going to become securities, though. Tokenization has immense opportunities. NFTs, when we get away from using NFTs for JPEGs or GIFs, and we start using them for things that actually have real value, there's a there's tremendous opportunity there. You want the easy button? Stack sats. The rest of it's a casino. I believe if you follow my advice, dollar cost average, buy Bitcoin, it goes down, buy more. So I, I think you should have like a certain amount I'm going to buy every month. And then when you get a big dip, find more, buy harder. Sleep faster, buy harder, man. Like that, that, that's, that's my, I believe if you do that, there's no way five years from now, ten years from now that you regret that decision. I, I don't think I've ever recommended an investment as strongly as I recommend Bitcoin for that because it has a track record. Uh, people right now are freaking out over a 50% drop and going, oh my God, off an all time high, by the way. If, if it goes further, it could go to zero. Guys, since I've been in, since I've been in, And I'm OG, but I'm not that OG, right? We've had five of those. Eleven years in total, there's been like six of those. I've been through four or five. This will be the fifth one. So counting this one, I've been through this five times. I made a, 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 a meme one time, and it was a mom and a kid on a roller coaster, and they're going down on the roller coaster, and mom's just beaming, laughing, and the kid's eyes are like rolled back. He's freaked out, and I'm like, Bought Bitcoin now and bought Bitcoin in 2014. We've been on this roller coaster and we're okay with going down. We know what comes next. Um, can you tell exactly with math how Bitcoin futures ETFs suppress prices? You can, but it's not. I'm not that math guy. But what you can do is you can look at all the, the futures ETFs in their prospectus. They actually state when and how they're going to do what they do. So then traders can completely snipe that. They know how much money is in, because it's public. So you can see exactly how much money they control, when they're going to execute their contracts, and what their strategy is. And you have a rolling knowledge of the futures market with a huge piece of money, so people can come in and short or long the market with options and leverage with a lot of reliability. Now, how does a spot ETF fi fix that? A spot ETF is no more for you. The way ETFs are regulated, unlike this whole exchange thing, which is still highly unregulated, where basically both people have claims to the same Bitcoin until somebody takes it off the exchange, the way these ETFs will work with a spot ETF, that Bitcoin that you say you have for Bill and his 401k, let's say he rolls some money in and he buys two whole Bitcoins, it's his Now, it's not his. It's custodial, but it's allocated. It cannot be allocated to Bill and Tom, only Bill. So effectively, even though somebody will be custodying it, it will be, in a sense, cold stored. It's off the game. It's You're taking pieces off the game board long term, if not permanently.
And that's what really offsets, because Bitcoin, there's no inflation. Bitcoin has like a 2.1.7%, I think the inflation rate is right now. Somewhere in the 1.7, 2.3. Both of those numbers are in my head for a reason. Maybe it's 2.3 now and will be 1.7 after the next halving. Maybe it was 2.3 and went to 1.7. I don't know. But there is an inflation rate. But if the money is being taken out faster than it's going, than it's being created, you have a negative inflation before the inflation even stops. Because it will inflate to like 21 something, right? Until the last Bitcoin is mined. But that number keeps dropping with each halving. And guys, the next halving, we're halfway to the next halving. That supply shock is going to be epic. And there's another stat. It's another stat, guys. Big stat. There's never been as much Bitcoin held that hasn't moved for over a year as there is right now, even with all this shakeout. And what's happening right now, all these people selling lower, 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 and lower out of fear. And there's two things. There's, there's fear selling. But most of the people that are afraid and talking shit, they're still not selling. They know better in the end. It's leveraged options expiring that are really driving this price down. And it's designed. And who's buying it? We're watching billions of dollars in single transactions. Hundreds of millions here, tens of millions there, billions there. Accumulate on an exchange and go off to a single place. We may not know who has it, but that's that's not a little fish. That's a whale. The whales are accumulating now. And if you think about it, if you're selling, you're playing to the whales. Everyone, the whales control everything. And what happened? In the last three years, the balance between whales and minnows shifted. Even with the Elon Musks and the Michael Saylors, the, the whales had less of a percentage of the Bitcoin. Well, they were happy to get rid of some of it when it was 60 grand, and they're happy to buy it back at 30. You're playing into their hands. Uh, Lockheed Raytheon already on weekend news show as provider of weapons to defeat USSR. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the USSR is back, I guess. Um, Peyton says, what does no agenda have? Mastodon server troll chat. And they do absolutely is my, uh, my granddaughter saying goodbye to me. They're going somewhere. Where are you going? Gymnastics. She's going to gymnastics. Okay, Poe, you go to gymnastics. Bye. Bye. Okay, little visit there as we wrap up. Um, yeah, um, I've been interested in Mastodon. I understand the whole like federation thing. So like you're on Mastodon, you have your thing, and you choose the groups you federate with in that ball. I, I just wonder like how hard is that for the average person? Like what I've always liked about most of the most of the social media out there is even if I don't like the company, you go to the site, you sign up for an account, you start friending people up or somehow connecting with people and you just use it. Like when people get into a situation where they have to have technical ability, I think participation drops. What is a long episode today? Um, Mike says, Jack, invest in solar panels or Bitcoin first. Well, your solar panels will be worth less over time. Sorry, it's true. They will have less value over time. They're a depreciating asset, and Bitcoin is an appreciating asset that will be worth more money over time. But they give you the solar panels, give you the utility of energy. Bitcoin gives you the ability to store your life force, your financial energy. 
Which one's more important to Mike? Which one's more important to Mike? That's the question you have to ask. But I will tell you this. If you wait a year to buy solar panels, they'll cost less. If you wait a year to buy Bitcoin right now, I'm not 100% sure. But I believe it will cost more a year from now. That we will be up from here one year out. We will be less than a year from the next halving at that point, And our economy will be in deeper shit than it ever has before. If you buy the solar panels, to, if you don't buy the solar panels today and you wait three years, I know they will cost you less. And if you buy Bitcoin now, I cannot even conceive of a place where they won't, where it wouldn't cost more in three years. So I want you to look at it a different way. I have the capital to buy a thing and I'm choosing between Bitcoin and the thing. If I was already holding Bitcoin, And for some magical reason, I could spend it and buy the other thing and not pay tax on it. I could avoid the capital gains and spend the Bitcoin. Would I spend the Bitcoin to buy the thing right now? And that might sound like a totally different question, but it's the same question. I have cash. I'm going to buy solar panels or Bitcoin. Imagine you already bought the Bitcoin. Would you spend it? And if the answer is no then Mike should know what to do for Mike. But in the end, Mike has to make that decision. Uh, Adam says, should I take a loan from my local cash advance bank to buy Bitcoin? I wouldn't. Adam has to make that decision. I remember way back when Bitcoin was like 300 bucks, some guy was uh, made pretty famous for being stupid. He took out a loan on his house for $335,000. Went all in on Bitcoin. Everybody said he was very stupid. Well, it's a mortgage. A pretty small nut to make to pay it back over 30 years. He's looking pretty smart right now. But you are then leveraging, right? And you're leveraging what, what I would guess would be a fairly high interest short term loan. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. And Tom says, Adam Harner, no. So Tom gave him a very direct answer and it's pretty much the same way. Uh, Shatero says, I can't find the Tracer wallet on Amazon. Uh, do you have a reviewed item of the day? I have not specifically recommended a wallet because I think of it as a very personal choice as to how much you need to hold as far as like some wallets, the lower versions of the same brand, you know, only hold like seven cryptos and maybe that works for you. Maybe you're a Bitcoin only person. Um, but I will say this, uh, Trezor, Or Ledger, you can't go wrong with either. And if you're wanting to buy from Amazon just to go through TSPAS and support me and you need something and it's not on Amazon, don't wait. Go buy what you need. And, like, I'm about to buy a chamber vacuum sealer, and I don't know which one yet, but I've narrowed it down to a couple, and now I have a third one I'm looking at because Nicole has the third one, and I'm not sure um, – But I found it on Amazon, and then I found it on Websterant, and it's cheaper on Websterant by like 200 bucks. And if I end up buying it, I will review it because it's something that's like a major prepper item that I think most people could benefit from. I will not recommend you buy something on Amazon that costs you $200 more. If the price rectifies, then I'll say, hey, it's on Amazon now, and you can get it for a fair price. But Do not ever feel like you owe me going through any of my links to buy anything that I recommend, uh, period. 
Uh, Mike says, do you think Satoshi's Bitcoin should be marked as non-fungible to give more credence to the market? No. I, I, I don't think, first of all, I don't think that any Bitcoin should ever be marked non-fungible. There are exchanges that have basically said, we will not allow this Bitcoin uh, to be exchanged on our exchange. Like it's been tagged as bad or black or whatever. Um, it still can be used. And I love that there's like a lot of money. There's a ton of Bitcoin. And for those that don't know the story, when Satoshi started it and everybody was mining it, he was mining it. So since he coded it, and he was probably one of the best at mining it, he mined a lot of it. Now, if you're mining Bitcoin on day one, your little laptop makes a bunch of Bitcoin. Because that's how it worked. It, per, the way Bitcoin worked is, like, for the first period, it was highly inflationary. It was more, like, millions of Bitcoin came out. And then it cut in half. And every four years, it cuts in half again. That's the halving. That's what that means. And so Satoshi, in the early days when he was, you know, still working on it and communicating about it and giving his vision for it, he mined a shitload of it. And since it's public and we know the addresses he mined to, it's never moved. And this leads to a conspiracy theory. Did the CIA, the United States government, the central bank actually created Bitcoin? Because how altruistic would you have to be to have billions of dollars and never spend a penny of it. So here's a crazy conspiracy theory. And I'll tell you, I think it's low probability, but if it's true, it would make it more important to own Bitcoin than not. Let's say the United States government did create Bitcoin, and they did it kind of like the Internet, like we know it will take from us, but we're more concerned about what it can give to us, not the ability to track people, because if that was the case it would be a lot less pseudonymous, right? You would have built things into it. That, and I'm sorry, being open source code, where like the greatest coders in the world can look at it. There's people, they live to find the one thing that can prove that they're smarter than everybody else. And they're tearing through this code all the time, looking for any backdoor or something like that. But here would be an interesting conspiracy theory. United States creates Bitcoin. Satoshi is the CIA. Satoshi is the Federal Reserve, something like that. And it says, okay, we know we're going to train wreck the global economy. Because I was telling you, no way. There's no getting out of this economy. Like, it has to be rebased. So they mine, you know, millions and millions of Bitcoin. Put it in these addresses. Satoshi disappears. He's gone. And one day... The United States government says, somehow, magically, we got Satoshi's Bitcoin. Maybe they say Satoshi came back, realized how bad the economy was, and said, this is what I built Bitcoin for, and he gave it to us. And there's transfers. And they put it on the central bank balance sheet. They make it the United States reserve currency. And they have more than any other nation or any other entity in the world immediately. Asymmetric financial warfare. Now, people would go, if that's true, man, it's the devil's money or whatever. No, no, no. So what you're telling me <laughs> is it will be the currency of the world, and you don't want any of it. It's the currency of the world. There will only be 21 million of them, and you don't want any of it. And well, then that would mean they could inflate it. No, 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 it wouldn't. The code is the code. And you can have half the Bitcoin. You don't have half the hash power. 
And this is the, I'll tell you what really makes Bitcoin the asymmetric warfare weapon of choice. It's the only weapon that's ever existed that the more your enemy uses, the more powerful you become if you have it too. So if I have nuclear bombs and I'm the only person with the nuclear bombs, I can take over the world. Do what I say, mushroom cloud. Next person is going to do what I say. But if more than one person has the ability to make mushroom clouds, the, the weapons actually neutralize each other. They're less powerful unless the goal really is peace, right? You have the standoff. Unless you have one crazy person in the, in the game of freaking, uh, what do they call that shit? Mexican standoff willing to pull the trigger, right? And then the chain reaction comes. Um, but with Bitcoin, if the United States government adopts it that way or any way, the value of my stack goes up and so does yours. And that's where people are like, I don't want the banks using I don't want this. If you want it to succeed, you want it to be so powerful that everybody feels like they have to use it. Um, Russia's buying Bitcoin. Somebody says, I got to go, guys, man. This has been long. Uh, watching on a serious delay, Jack Matrix allows other platforms to port in their chat rooms like YouTube, Telegram, Facebook, Etc. I hope this helps. Um, Matrix. I'll have to look into that. It would be kind of cool to have like one place where anywhere you're watching this, it all comes together and you can all communicate with each. That's more important than you communicating with me, I think. Okay, that's it, guys. I am out. Wow, this is crazy long today. I didn't have time for it, but I enjoyed chatting with you. Um, I feel like there's a lot going on in the world. And today we went through... The craziness. I don't know what, but tomorrow I'm bringing you practical. I'm bringing you something that you can do, and it won't be go buy Bitcoin. With that, guys, have a great day. It's been a great episode. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? You should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you'll never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution.